I had never thought about an abortion. I had never, ever considered the political debate. I had never weighed it in my mind as a moral decision. It was simply, here's a solution to this problem that that you're faced with. Hi, everyone, and welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Today you'll hear the story of a woman who found healing and forgiveness following an abortion. Kim Katola is our guest on this edition. The interviews you hear each week are also archived on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. So if you ever miss a week or just want to go back and look over the list of past guests and topics, you can do that easily at firstpersoninterview.com. Plus, you'll find the schedule of upcoming programs there on the website. We also have a Facebook page where you can leave comments and interact with other listeners. Look us up online at facebook.com forward slash first person interview. Kim Katola is a broadcaster, writer, and speaker. But early in her life, when she was facing an unwanted pregnancy, she made the wrong choice, a choice she now regrets. But she also found healing and forgiveness for her mistake and now points others to the peace in Christ that she has found. Kim is the author of Cradle My Heart, Finding God's Love After an Abortion. And as we spoke recently on the phone, I began by asking her to talk about her early life. Um, I actually went to a religious school as a child and uh, received, you know, the basic instruction in the catechism or the doctrine that kids get. Um, But in my limited understanding as a child, I can even remember thinking this, that somehow I, I couldn't really connect the dots. Somehow all the pieces of the puzzle never fell into place for me. And so the takeaway message for me in my faith as a child was, there is a God, which I believed, and He's really angry about sin, which I knew I was guilty of. But I didn't understand much more than that. So I would try to be good and try to, you know, behave and do what was expected of me, but of course I would always fail. <laughs> and in my childlike way, I would then give up, I think, on myself and God and think, well, I, he just must be really mad at me. Somehow that was probably my deepest belief about God is that he's really mad at me because I'm I'm not as good as I ought to be. And I think that probably, um, you know, if you're a mental health professional, you might label that shame. I don't know <laughs> what that is, but that's not, of course, what Christianity is about. But the the meaning of Christ on the cross was never um, imparted to me in a way that I could understand it as a child. Well, I want to talk to you about the, the pain and the forgiveness that you found in Christ uh, during your lifetime. But so you found yourself, um, what, early 20s with an unwanted pregnancy? Yes, and it's interesting, um, and maybe you'll appreciate this as a person who has a a radio career, Wayne. um, Boy, that was going to be my redemption. I had gone to Northwestern University as a young woman on a family scholarship, if you will. My grandfather had left money so that our family could afford for me to go. And he was a self-made man. We're not a wealthy family by any stretch. But there was no family hardship for me to attend Northwestern University, and I was accepted into their theater program, which is one of the most competitive programs for that in the country. It's world-renowned, sure. And um, when I got there, I had an unusual experience for me, which is I, I showed up for my first audition, and I saw the other students who were gathered there who looked like they were ready for that audition, uh, I think some of them had probably already been in off-Broadway, you know, college theater at that level is kind of like college basketball, right? <laughs> They're semi-pro. Yeah. 
And I just decided that I wasn't good enough. I made a decision that I probably would never pass an audition. I got so intimidated that I turned around and left without ever trying out. Wow. And, um, you know, when you, when you don't do what you're supposed to do, it's invariable that you will end up doing what you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So the next uh, couple of years of my life at, at college were involved in uh, partying, which wasn't fun. <laughs> um, you know, drugs, um, all the things that went along with the, the cultural norms at a big, you know, secular university in the late 1970s. After a couple of years, I just tired of feeling so aimless, and I returned to Minnesota. And, you know, the story isn't even that I failed. I, I was just mediocre. <laughs> I was a C student, and I didn't have a real purpose in being there, so I quit. Hmm. Part of the decision probably was fueled by the fact that I had a boyfriend who said he loved me and asked me to move in with him. And when I think about how commonplace cohabitation has become... Yeah. I, it just really breaks my heart because I know from having made that mistake personally what a dead-end road it is, especially for young women. And my parents tried to talk with me and tried to reason with me and get me to not do that, but I wouldn't listen. So that's I quit college to live with a guy and become a waitress. <laughs> How proud my parents must have been, eh? Yeah, right. So when you became pregnant, did you and your fiancé, you were engaged at this time, right? Well, I was going to say, after that experience, my dad suggested radio school because there was a vocational program in Minneapolis. And I went through that, and I actually paid my own way. I was not going to put anything more on my parents, and by that point I was in my early 20s. And I put myself through radio school, and I went and did my, you know, the obligatory year in the tiny market. In uh, Actually, it was a medium market in St. Cloud, Minnesota. St. Cloud, Minnesota, sure. WJON was my first job, and I did that for one year. And I was engaged to someone I had met while in my waitressing career. Okay, and all right. So we were commuting, and um, then, then I got my job at KSTP-FM, the major market. I was in Minneapolis, 23 years old, and I was going to have my own program, evenings on, on KS95. And... My, you know, fiancé was excited that we wouldn't have to be commuting any longer, so um, I stepped up into the big leagues in my mind, and then three months later, I found out that I was pregnant. And he said that it didn't line up with his plans for us to get married, and um, he would not support a pregnancy. So there I was, and the year was 1978, and there was no such thing as, you know, single mothers or an unwed woman carrying forward a pregnancy in the, in the in the workplace. Not a lot of support out there, was there? Uh, I just it wasn't even a consideration in my mind. I mean, I was so ashamed of having trusted this man. I was so ashamed of having been caught being sexually active before marriage. Um, I didn't have a believer's heart to really feel convicted and know that you know that that was wrong and that I was reaping the consequences of those choices. You know, what happens, I think, for young women when they get to that point is this pregnancy threatens your future. You feel as though if the pregnancy proceeds that your future is over, and I certainly believe that. Did you feel uh, pressured by him then, or did you make your own decision about the abortion? How did that happen? Well, I, I called on two people who I trusted, and they both said, you know, Kim, if he's not going to support you, and you don't feel that you can continue in your career, and plus I had the school debt because I'd put myself through school, they said, you have to take care of yourself, and the only way to do that is to have an abortion. 
And, you know, I, I had never thought about an abortion. I had never, ever considered the political debate. I had never weighed it in my mind as a moral decision. It was simply, here's a solution to this problem that, you've, that you're faced with. And he agreed also that that was what needed to happen, and he said he would pay for it. And so that was my decision. It was very passive decision-making on my part. I very much felt as though I didn't have a choice, that this was my only good option. And so that was the decision that I made. But immediately you knew that you had done something you wish you hadn't done. Yes, and that happened actually um, while I was in the room where the procedure was about to take place. And I, I truly had not given it any thought in terms of whether this was right or wrong. I had asked the question that I think most young women ask, which is, is this a baby? And the answer I got was, no, it's just a blob of cells. It's just tissue at this point. It's not a baby. The fact that I believed that and that women are continuing to be given that deception and continuing to believe it is another conversation for a different day. But there it is. I believed it. That's what I went with. All right, well, then, if it's not a baby, I can go ahead and do this. Um, that's, that's what I was thinking. This is not a baby. It's just a pregnancy. Intelligent woman, I'd been accepted at Northwestern University. <laughs> but that was the mental trick that yeah, I played. Yeah in order to make that decision. So, but when I got to the point of the procedure and someone asked me how I was doing right before it was about to take place, I was given, a, I believe, a moment of grace by God himself to say, wait a minute, how am I doing? This is not right. Somehow God spoke to me and, and I understood this is not right. I shouldn't do this. And, uh, I mean, I was prepped and on my back, ready for things to proceed. And, you know, I just didn't have the strength of character to say, oh, no, I shouldn't do this. I need to get out of here. So I paused, and then I said, yes, I'm all right, and I allowed it to happen. Oh. But the emotional pain happened right at the right at the outset, right? Yes, it really did, because knowing that it was wrong, I knew that I was taking a life. You know, it was mysterious to me. I, there was an ultrasound back in the day. There wasn't fetal photography like we have now and, you know, 4D imagery where you can see life in the womb um, or all of these things. But mother's intuition is real, <laughs> and that's been around since, you know, since time began. And I knew that I had, that I had taken a life. And when I emerged from that room and saw my fiancé sitting there, and to his credit, he did accompany me. Most men don't. Um, boy, my heart had just immediately grown so cold toward him. I wanted nothing to do with him, and I blamed him that he had put me in this position and then abandoned me. And, of course, the relationship didn't last very long, and that's very typical. You know, I think that I would never want to say that I'm a poster child for abortion because everybody's story, one of the things that I've learned in doing ministry to women impacted by abortion and men is that everybody's story is so different, and it's always such a personal decision. And every choice, I think, represents a separate need of the heart that God can meet, but that we, you know, if we don't understand it or trust it or believe it, then we go ahead and make that choice. But, you know, in my case, I was so typical. Most women who choose abortion are in their early 20s. They're unmarried. They're using birth control that fails. 
and the relationship that led to the pregnancy does not survive the abortion. And all of those things were true in my case. And most women who choose it are Christian. They have at least some affiliation with with a Christian faith, as I probably would have said that I was. I was not a born-again believer. I was not a spirit-led person. But I knew right from wrong, and I had been raised in the Church. So um, all of those factors uh, did not protect me from finding myself, you know, as being one of the statistics. Coming up on First Person, more of Kim Katola's story, Finding God's Love After Abortion, here on First Person. Next time on First Person, you'll meet the producer of the new movie, The Ultimate Life. I look at people that really gave their lives to me in, in so many ways and taught me so many things. And uh, I just feel like, you know, what else can I do? That's all part of what, what our life in Christ is about, too. And the whole idea of mentoring, of helping other folks along. You'll meet Rick Eldridge and hear about the new movie, The Ultimate Life, next time on First Person. My guest today on First Person is Kim Katola. Kim is the author of Cradle My Heart, Finding God's Love After Abortion. She is also the host of a new radio program called Cradle My Heart Radio, and we're excited about that. Kim, you've told us about the decision that you made as a young 20-something to have an abortion, and we're going to have to skip a lot of your story. It is, of course, in your book and the way you have found healing and forgiveness. But just give me the the synopsis then of uh, of what happened. I want to get to the ministry that you have today and the, the passion you have to help uh, women and men find uh, forgiveness if they have experienced abortion in their lives. But just give me the, a thumbnail. What, what happened in life after that abortion then to you? Well, the relationship broke up, and I poured myself into my career because that was my hope. Well, I can make my own way in the world, you know, and at 23, it, it made sense. I was launched from my parents' home, and uh, now I was a single woman, and I had set the stage to be free of the responsibility of raising a child with the abortion decision, so I did that. And, you know, for five years, um, I was troubled by the abortion, but I would never think about, you know, trying to deal with that. Um about five years afterwards, I did marry. I found a man who gave me two beautiful children. Uh, God's completely unmerited favor. We have two beautiful, healthy children. They're young adults now. Can I ask you about that, Kim? Yes. Did that in any way assuage your your sense of loss for the child that was aborted? No, I, I, it did not. And I think what happens is, you know, if if a woman has a child after an abortion, and is hoping that her guilt will be relieved, um, it becomes very difficult for that child to be the atonement child. Hmm. So, I mean, I was overcome with joy at the birth of my children, but still I had the grief over the loss of my first pregnancy, the child from that first pregnancy. You know, I think that grief is what drives women, but because we don't acknowledge it's a child, we have no place to put that grief, and I was pretty much that way, too. It just sort of floats out there. There can be things that will trigger you, the anniversary of the abortion day, or Mm. your annual visit with your physician, and the nurse screens you by asking how many pregnancies you've had, and you have to wrestle with yourself, will I 
speak the truth, or yeah, will I sure. say how many children I have, and so on. So, well, I wanted to raise that point because I think it's an important one, and I know you talk about it in your book, and it spoke uh, deeply to me, and I, I wanted you to talk about it here in the program. So you find yourself married with two children, but uh, that marriage ends in divorce. Yes, and, you know, I mean, this is what happens to women, too. If you have an undealt-with grief, if you have a grief that's not resolved, and a new grief occurs, as every divorce brings grief, now your grief is compounded, but it's, you know, there's even less of a of a healthy avenue for you to express it unless God somehow intervenes or some caring individual recognizes what's going on in your life. And so um, I, I did... I did try to seek help for myself, started going to a 12-step group, and God provided a friend who witnessed Christ to me and spoke Scripture to me. She spoke First John 1, 9 to me uh, to help me with my guilt, you know, that, that if we confess Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I accepted Him as, as my Savior, and I, had the, I did have the burden of guilt re- removed and relieved from me, which was lovely. That happened in uh, around 1990, but... You know, I didn't have any concept of Jesus as Lord of my life. And so, uh, although I started attending a a really good Bible-teaching church, and I, you know, I met my husband, Bruce and I have been married almost 20 years, and we started growing in faith together, you know, my incomplete teaching and, and, um, you know, insufficient doctrine, I would still feel so beset by what I had done with the abortion. So you didn't feel like you had been forgiven? Well, I knew that I I had been with your I, head, though. Yes, and that's it. I mean, I think abortion causes us to get our emotional wires crossed, where the guilt and the grief mingle, and we're reluctant to let go of the grief because that will mean that the whole experience of having been a parent to that child is over, and so we cling to that um, in our unhealthy way of coping. And part of what I really want to do in ministry with, with women and men who are hurt by abortion is help them understand that Christ can be our connection to the child who's been lost. Oh. You know, the, the scriptures affirm that Christ has received these children to himself. And if our hearts are right, and if our faith is solid and strong, and we believe that Christ died for us and was risen and and we profess that with our lips and believe it with our hearts, that we have the hope of seeing these children in eternity, of a blessed reunion with them because of what Christ has done. Where are you today in that uh, that sense of forgiveness uh, that Christ has offered? I'm absolutely free of the shame and guilt. I know that I am forgiven. I believe that Christ has received my child. I, I named him Wayne. He would have been 33 years old this year, and I named him Emmanuel. And the way that God brought that about was very dear to my heart, but part of the story there is that he would have been born close to Christmas. And every year when Christmas comes, I remember fondly that God gave me a child. He only lived for 12 weeks within my womb. Most of the world had no idea that he even existed, but he's he, his life was real, and it has eternal meaning because he is the person who made me a follower of Jesus Christ, trying to come to terms with his very short life and the circumstances of his death is what unveiled the mercy of Jesus Christ and made it real in my life. 
Kim, you mentioned early your interest and your success in radio. Of course, it went on after KSTP there in Minneapolis to CCO Television, CCO Radio, uh, a legendary station in Minnesota, and then KTIS and the Faith Radio Network where you hosted radio shows. But you've given up the radio for the ministry that you have now, and now you're coming back. God's giving you back uh, with your own radio program again. But talk about that decision for a moment. The first time that God said, uh, let's do something different with Radio Kim, (laughs) I I left WCCO to produce a short feature called Life Redeemed, which told stories of women and men who had been redeemed in Christ after abortion. And uh, that led to the talk show that I hosted on KTIS. And there, that's where I met Ruth Graham and started touring with her uh, in her conference ministry, which I did for three years working with people in a conference setting on this issue. And it appeared to me that that was what God had for me, that um, that I would be speaking and writing. And so um, I left radio to write, to write the book, Cradle My Heart, Finding God's Love After Abortion, thinking that I would continue to tour with Ruth Graham and, and write more and be active in that ministry that God uh, had raised up. But three weeks after I stepped away from radio, my husband was relocated to Georgia in the Northwest and Delta merger. I, I, you know, that meant completing the book and just trying to really walk in faith about what God would have me do next. And I'm excited that, you know, that the next chapter is going to include this live interactive program on the topic of abortion, because... Um, I think people may be startled to hear me tell my story, to hear me give up my privacy, to hear me admit to my cowardice and my passivity in life and, and my shame, so to speak. But the whole reason to to share any of that is so people can know just how far Jesus went to bring yeah. me back. Yeah, it's amazing, and isn't it? it it's a it's thrilling amazing. story. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, if I don't if I don't speak up, how will they know? And and speaking up in a live forum that might give other people permission to come forward and speak and to open their mouths about the hurt that they're experiencing, I think um, is just more victory for Christ in this. You know, the the devil appears to win every time a child's life is lost to abortion um, because, you know, that decision is cloaked in darkness and deception. I mean, I don't want to get to, you know, I don't want to, um, my purpose is to help women spiritually, Wayne. Sure. This was my main problem. Does God hate me? Am I going to hell? Have I damned a baby to hell? What does the Bible really say about abortion? You know, uh, abortion is always a spiritual issue because it's always an issue of life and death. And so um, I want us to be free to have that spiritual conversation, and so our hearts can, and spirits can be healed. Well, I'm very glad that you've listened to the testimony of Kim Katola here today on First Person. Kim's mistake early in her life didn't hold her back in the long run from seeking and finding God's love and forgiveness. And the same can be true for all of us, regardless of the mistakes we've made. You'll want to know more about Kim and her ministry. Her new radio program called Cradle My Heart, heard Sunday nights on select stations, is now available. And we'll place online links to it at firstpersoninterview.com. And Kim's book, also titled Cradle My Heart, is linked online at firstpersoninterview.com. Especially if you know someone suffering from the pain that Kim once experienced, be sure to follow those links to Kim's ministry for help. There's also a calendar of upcoming guests and topics at firstpersoninterview.com. 
And then if you'd like to interact with other listeners on this topic, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, you'll meet the producer of the new movie, The Ultimate Life. Rick Eldridge will join us next time to talk about the film and much more. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.